Welcome to our podcast. I'm Keith Loy, the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Thank you for joining us. And it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to Matthew, the book of Matthew. And as you go there, I said something last week. And I simply said, if we're going to get the Sermon on the Mount, we have to get the man on the Mount. Let me say it again. If we're going to get the Sermon on the Mount, we have to get the man on the Mount. Because I believe that the key to any message is the messenger. And I think therein lies a problem because I think so many, when it comes to the interpretation of the Bible, people want to dive in without really grasping the context by which it was written and the writer itself. I think that happens so often because I'll hear statements and go, well, that's your opinion. Think about that for a moment. In the moment that you incite that it's my opinion, you're now expressing you need to hear my opinion. How about in the church if we would just simply do this? What is God really wanting us to get? What if we approach conversations that way? We actually sat with one another and instead of exchanging opinions, even though we might do that, the ultimate goal is what is God saying to us? There's a sense of an invitation to God to say, have your way, speak to me. And God will do it through other people in other ways if we come, if you will, to seek, not in a way of defense. Does that make sense? And so if we're going to get the Sermon on the Mount, we have to grasp this man on the Mount, the one who is speaking. So what I want to do is I want to invite you in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to just kind of walk through real quickly up to the Sermon on the Mount and grasp some things that I think are significant as we look at this man, this man Jesus, who spoke these words, his Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you got your Bibles, uh, chapter one, the first thing that Matthew does, I find incredibly interesting and significant, and yet so many people want to push uh, past this. Believe it or not, the first chapter of Luke and the first chapter of Matthew are two in the Gospels chapters that so many people just want to avoid because it's just names. That's how they see it. But it's significant especially as Matthew is writing, and I think we can miss this, because the first thing that Matthew does is give us the genealogy of Jesus, his heredity, which, which by the way, we all have one, right? A family tree. And yet few people, even in our world today, spend very little time wanting to understand the history by which they had come. It's amazing. You, you can research it. You can study it and see how few people have no idea really their ancestry. Oh, they've got some ideas, heard a story. Maybe it'll do recite something here and there, but they have no idea where they came from. And many of you know, I'm a fourth generation pastor. It thrills my heart that Noah, my son-in-law will be a fifth generation. And I have spent unbelievable amounts of time wanting to know where my great-grandfather, my grandfathers, and my father, how they were called, what they were doing, the stories of their life, because all of that was a part of shaping who I am. 
And that's why we say things like this, that the people that don't know history are destined to keep me repeating it. And we've got this idea that we're going to start something new. And yet that's such false reality because everything here, whatever successes that you create, were always on the shoulders of someone who'd gone before. If you don't think so, think about this. If Christopher Columbus would have never come over in the beginning of this country, you and I wouldn't be sitting here right now. None of these successes you have would even be a part. Every generation built something, gave something, pioneers, trails that are littered by bodies, names unmarked that we will never know, never meet, if you will, had everything to do with why we're here in this city right now. All of our lives are marked and yet so few people understand and it was important to Matthew and I don't want you to miss this because see for a Jew and it should be for us, but for a Jewish person reading this, if they could not prove their tribal membership, there was no inheritance given. Let me say it again. For a Jew if they don't know their inheritance of which would come to them, if they don't know where it's coming from, they will not receive it. Now think about that in Christ. See, I think there's a lot of people who sit in church pews who might say the name of Jesus, but they have no idea who that Jesus really is. Because when you get the genealogy of him and the history and who he is, Oh my goodness, it will change who you are and everything that you do. Matthew understood this. And what we learn about Jesus and his genealogy, you ready for this? He comes from God. That's a big deal. Like, like we're, not, we're not talking about birth order here like you and I. We're not talking about who's your father. We're talking about who's his father. This is an incredible moment. So we get the genealogy and then Matthew follows it with the conception and birth of Jesus, which by the way, wasn't normal, okay? Because here's what the Bible says, for the child, you can see this in Matthew chapter one, verse 20, for the child, capital C, meaning he's no ordinary child, has been conceived in Mary of the Holy Spirit. Now who in this room can claim that? Like, I need to let you know that my dad is God. And my mama got pregnant by God. I mean, this is an amazing moment. Because his conception, there's only one like it. Jesus. Conceived of the Holy Spirit. But then his name wasn't even allowed to be given to him by his parents. The Bible says that the angel instructed by God said, Joseph, Mary, you're to name him Jesus. A name that would separate history. A name that would change the world. Oh my goodness, people. You can say any other God of any other religion. And that will mean something or it'll mean nothing. You can say someone's name, drop this name, that name. But I will guarantee you the moment you mention Jesus, it will change Incredible conversations. A name that government, government, you know, the leaders, the smart people, the people that we elect, 
there's many of them who want to remove that name. Why is that? It's just a name. It's like a person walks up and goes, well, I'm an atheist. Why would you tell me that? That makes no sense. If you don't believe there's a God and the name of Jesus is not offensive, then why are you telling me what you believe? You would care less. That name is a different name. And it was important that God said, he doesn't just come for me. I want you to name him according to me. And Matthew wants us to understand this is no ordinary child. End of chapter one. Then we move to chapter two. If you want to flip there real quick, we're introduced to those Christmas wise men, the Christmas kings. You know, the guys that came across from Eastern lands. And for years they would travel. Never being, if you will, to the Middle East, traveling across deserts through unbelievable terrain and weather and things in life. Can't imagine the hurdles, the hardship, the adversities, but never taking their eyes off a star that's pointing them that they would understand would be the savior of the world. And I remind you, when they find him, when they find him, they don't stop and go, oh, we're finally here. Guys, let's check in, get a shower, get cleaned up, make sure we're all ready to go. I mean, we could be at the house for a while. You know, they don't do that. Bible says that they were overjoyed. And here's what it says in verse 11. They saw the child, capital C, with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. Now, I think we can quickly move on because we're like, we know the Christmas story. Do we know the Christmas story? Because I remind you, Jesus is a child. He is a child. He is a child. He's not the Jesus walking around, walking on water, feeding the thousands. He's not the one opening the eyes of the blind. He's not done anything yet. He is a child in a house, maybe two, three years of age. And the world's greats do exactly what we're all called to do. They get on the ground and they worship a child. Why would they do that? This is no ordinary child. If we're going to get the message, the Sermon on the Mount, we got to grasp this man who's delivering it. Then in verse 13, Matthew gives us a glimpse of God's eternal promise when Mary and Joseph take Jesus to Egypt, and I want to quickly say this because I've had a few people ask, well, if he's God's son, if he's the chosen one and God's in control, why did they have to run away from Herod? And I encourage you to listen to this. I don't think they were fleeing from anything. Jesus is fulfilling everything. Because before Jesus came to planet earth, and Matthew helps us with it, he delivers the prophetic message if you would, from Hosea. For God will call out of Egypt his son. Why would that be so important? Because if you know the Old Testament, Moses would be sent of God to be the deliverer of God's people who were in bondage out of Egypt to the promised land. And Moses would even say this, but there's one coming greater than I who will deliver all people out of their bondage. Just as Moses the son of man will come and Jesus in Egypt now will be the one coming out that will be able to deliver the entire world from sin. And so we get this in prophetic fulfillment that people reading this would have understood because they're Jewish people. 
Then we move to chapter three, if you would go there, and we're introduced to a very interesting man, John the Wesleyan, I mean Baptist, okay? And, and the scripture describes him. I love how scripture describes him. If you got your Bibles, verse four, he wore a garment of camel's hair. I mean, does that just make you like, ah, you know what? And a leather belt around his waist. Pretty much he was a, a, a modern day hippie, okay? But back in that day. And his food was locust, wild honey, and sushi. Okay, anything that's disgusting. All right, now you know where I'm at. Some people go, I love sushi. You're disgusting, okay? But, but by the way, I think John the Baptist is an incredible profile of a celebrate church planter, okay? All right? But it's here that something significant happens that is so important to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter three, verse two. Repent. If you like to write in your Bibles, I would encourage you to circle that word and the last word, for the kingdom of God is near. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Say it with me. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. The word near here is important because here's what it means. It actually has a double meaning. and It's very important because the double meaning was heard by those who heard John's message. The word near means to move toward something. It isn't, it isn't spelled out to what, but you and I are to move toward something because not far away in the future, in this moment of time, something incredible is about to happen. Now you might say, wow, okay, I get that. Hold on here. The two implied truths in this one word are simply this, that coming very soon, very soon, something special, but it also implies not just in proximity, but if you will, by way of invitation, that you should start moving towards it. And that's where the word repent comes in. The word repent is the word turn. Now, here's where some people miss this because John's not saying, repent of your sin, repent of the bad. He's literally saying this, even if you think you're doing something good and it might be good, I will guarantee you it's not best. What he's saying is you need to turn. I don't care if you're on your way to something. I don't care if you think it has some good or some advantage. You need to turn because something is coming really soon. And I think that's an invitation today because I think there's a lot of people in God's church today who think they're doing something good, but they've yet to really turn. And that word is so important because we're going to come back to it in just a moment. But then he adds something to this. He describes this something He said, the one who is coming is more powerful than I, verse 11, more powerful than I. In fact, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. These were huge words because everybody's coming out to be baptized by John the Baptist. It's important because they're thinking that John might be the Messiah, that John might be this one that God said that I'm going to send. And they're going out and John says, no, 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 it's not me. You need to turn. I'm not even worthy. And then he adds these words. He will baptize you with what? Come on, church. Isn't that interesting? The one conceived of the Holy Spirit, which is the only one who can say that, is now going to give you the Holy Spirit. 
which is really significant because something is about to happen in chapter four. And I don't want you to miss this. Immediately chapter four, Jesus is taken out into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And I just want to highlight something here real quick. That's so important because what Matthew is trying to help us understand that this is no ordinary child. His genealogy, his family tree takes us to God himself. This is the son of God. And to prove that he's being conceived, he, he's going to be birthed in a virgin who's never had sex. And it's God himself who's going to be the seed. And I'm going to fulfill that promise that I made in the prophet that out of Egypt. But now watch this. For a king to rule the kingdom, he needs to show you he can rule himself. Now watch this. You and I, I think it would be bad preaching for you and I to put us in the story of the temptation of Christ. Because Matthew makes it very clear. You and I will be tempted by the devil. Everybody look up here. Don't miss this. You will fail every time. You've been tempted this week. You've been tempted yesterday. You'll be tempted today and you will fail every time. You're like, well, there's no hope in that. You're right. There is no hope. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. The story is crystal clear in the temptation of Jesus. You and I are no different than Adam and Eve in the garden. And here's what you need to understand. Paul would call Jesus the second Adam. Where the first Adam was birthed in perfection and failed. Where the first Adam was given everything, had the abundance and failed. Adam and Eve had everything they needed, but they couldn't get the job done when Satan came to test them. But the second Adam wasn't born in a, in a garden. The second Adam was born in a barn in a manger and succeeded. The second Adam had nothing going for him and was victorious. And Matthew wants to make it very clear. You want to get the sermon on the mount? You better get the man on the mount because apart from him, you're in serious trouble. That's why you and I need the Holy Spirit you and I will be tempted and we will fail 100% of the time. We can never do it in our own strength, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, greater is he that is in us than anything that's in the world. Amen to that? I can do all things through Christ. That's what Paul meant. We better get the man on the mount before we get the sermon on the mount. And then Jesus says this, the angels minister to Jesus and then we get his public ministry. And he says, come follow me. As simple as that. Come follow me. But then he says exactly what John says, but a little different. Matthew 4, 17, repent of your sin and turn to God for the kingdom of God is here. Now, some of your translation go, no, no, mine says near the same word. No, no, no. You, you need to watch this. One of the great problems in English translations from the original language is our language is too simple. And so to find the right English word to translate it correctly is sometimes impossible. But in the original Greek language, words get attached. You ready for this? To the messenger. 
And so when John the Baptist says, you need to repent, you got to turn because something incredible is coming. He's pointing to somewhere, to someone. Jesus, now the author, says you need to turn and he points to himself. I am the kingdom. I'm here. It's right in front of you. Do you not see it? The eye is the lamp of the body. If the eyes are bad, the whole body's bad. Can you not see? How can you understand? Which the disciples would say so many times. Why do you preach this way? They can't understand. He says, because they're blind. They choose not to see. They don't want to. They like their comfortable, little, convenient, little world. They somehow think that somehow something here is going to give them significance and it cannot. You need to turn. It's right here, people. I am. I am here. It's such a beautiful moment. This is no ordinary person, people. And I'm going to say it again. If we're going to get the sermon on the mount, we must get the man on the mount. So I want to simply say this, and I want, I want to show you this. Hey, what's in a name? I mean, think about it, because we all have one, right? In fact, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to someone you don't know, and I want you to introduce yourself and then tell them your name, okay? All right, just turn. Come on, turn to someone right now and say, hey, I'm Keith, all right, or whatever, who you are, okay? <laughs> just turn to them, introduce yourself. Go ahead. I mean, your name means something, Right? I got to tell you something humorous. This wasn't in my notes. It just happened last night. So, so we went out to my, my wife and I and our youngest went out and she wanted to go to Chick-fil-A because she figured Chick-fil-A was still open. Right? So we went to Chick-fil-A and we got some food, but we forgot to order shakes. And, and she and I are kind of a fan, if you would, of Freddy's. So we, we decided we had to stop, pick up some other things at the, at the, at Aldi's. And so we stopped there and then we went by Freddy's and my kids know that I'm so tired of, of speaking in to those drive through little speakers. It's, it's a, it's really, it's a test my patience. I gotta be honest with you, you know? So I always pull up and I'm just like, Hey, no, I don't anyway, but I pull up and, and I always simply say this, they go, can, can I get a name for the order? And I'm always like, Bob. Because I'm so tired of saying Keith. And they're just like, oh, okay, Christopher. I'm like, what did you just hear? You know? And, and, and I mean, I've been called all kinds of things, right? So I just walk. First thing, roll down. Can I get a name? Bob. No kidding. Last night, the dude goes, Bob, how do you spell that? <laughs> Not kidding. We, we just, it froze us. We were like, you've got to be kidding me. That's never happened in my life. Bob? So I went, B-O-B, you can even spell it backwards. <laughs> and, and he goes, Bob, okay, how can I take your order? You know? And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. All right, we're going to talk about ordering food that's so much difficult more in spelling than Bob. And, and I'm not, I'm not going to make light of who he is or even describe him to you, but it was like one of those moments, right? But what's in a name? Because the name means something. Can I give you the top three names of 2024? Believe me, that's weird. They're already out. Okay. In fact, you can get the top 15. But number one, by the way, if you're going to 2024 and you've got a child coming in the world. Okay. Uh, girl, Olivia. That's the number one name. Boy, Oliver. There you go. Okay. Number two is Isabella and Noah. 
I had no idea my son-in-law is like a transcender. You know what I mean? It's just really cool. Um, and then number three is Emma and Elijah. I don't know how they come up with this stuff. Of course, you understand with the younger generation, you know, if you spell Noah, it's not N-O-A-H because you don't spell things normally. It's got to be like N-O apostrophe S, you know, question mark, dash, number one, two, H. Pronouncing you, you know what I mean? I mean, it's just like crazy. It's just nuts anymore. But, but did you know in 2024, I just find this interesting, of the six, 15 names, six male names of the top 15 are all biblical I just think it's cool. Noah, Elijah, David, Daniel, John, and Ezra. But you all know that there's some people who should never be given the privilege to name anything. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. You Google it. Like crazy names that people name their children. Like, like, like some dad or mom, their last name is Lear, and they thought it'd be funny to name their daughter Shanda. Like that's going to go over well when they get to school, you know, uh, some of you will take a while. Someone named their daughter, you know, the name Elizabeth. They're like, no, no, let's name her a lizard breath. A lizard breath is what they named their daughter. Some boy, they named their little boy, little sweet meat, sweet meat. Like that's just like crazy. You know what I mean? Is he like a jerky? No, I'm just anyway. Um, but, but did you hear about the fraternal twins in, in Kansas? Their last name is Hawk, and they named them Tommy and Holly. Like, who does that? You know, it's like the, it's like the Texas twins. Their, their last name was Hog, and they named them Ima and Yura. Twin girls. Like, that, that, that's going to, like, go over real well, Right. You know, it's, it's just nuts, but names are a big deal. And I want to give you two reasons why, and I'm going to pull this all together here in a minute, but I want you to write this down. A name gives significance. Say it with me. A name gives significance. No one here is just a number and no one here is, Hey, you, you have a name. I, I want you to think about this for a moment. And our name is a part of speech by which I'm recognized. I don't think we give much like thought to that, but when my mom would say, Steve, Greg, Brian, you know, Michael, I wouldn't answer, but she'd say, Keith, I knew who that was. That's a, that's a significant moment. It's my name, right? I'm not classified as a species of animal. I'm not labeled as a compound of chemical. I, I like what Eugene Rosenstock Husey says, a name is the state of speech in which we do not speak of people or things or of values, but in which we speak to people, things, and values. I like how he says this. The name is the right address of a person under which he or she will respond. It's significant. My name is significant. It matters. And I don't like my name tied to something that I'm not guilty of. You you with me on that? My name matters. But here's number two. A name provides hope. A a sort of foreshadowing. See, when we named our children, like you as parents, you were filled with hopes of what that child might become, right? 
I mean, you didn't have a child and go, hey, there's a loser. You know what I mean? You, you had a child and I remember holding Jordan and I remember singing, you're my friend, you're my buddy, you're my pal. I've never forgotten that, never will. Think about what is this little girl gonna become and God's entrusted her to me, to Kay. And we named her Jordan Brooke because she was a girl, but she's named after the Jordan River. Jaden May, she carries the middle name of my mom. Jackson Hope, Hope comes because there were complications in the delivery and there was a fear that we could lose her. And Kay said, let's make her middle name Hope, that hope never disappoints. So there's meaning. There's something about that in a name as in your name. I mean, how many here were named, your part of your name is because of someone in the family or someone your parents knew? Put your, put your, look at all the hands. There, there's something about it, isn't it? Our name matters. Our parents, you weren't part of that naming, but your parents were filled with dreams and hopes. And in a moment, grateful. You're not a byproduct of some genes contributed, okay? In fact, you know what the Bible says? Before I shaped you in the womb, I knew all about you. Before you saw the light of day, I had holy plans for you. Imagine the hope that God has for you. Just imagine that. You're not an accident. So a name instills significance, right? And a name provides hope, correct? Now watch this. In short, everybody look up here. No child is just a child except one. No child. Everybody here, your name has significance. It's an address that people call you by. There's something about your life that matters to the Almighty. No child is just a child except one. Because in that name, you find significance. In that name, you get hope. And Matthew wants us to get, if you don't get the man on the mount, you're never going to get the sermon on the mount. This Jesus is no ordinary guy. He is the name. He is the name. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And I want to invite everyone to stand for the reading because I want you to get this. And I'm going to read a few verses prior to, and then I want you to see what's going to be on the screen. Here's what Paul writes in chapter two, beginning in the third verse. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Here it comes. You must have the same attitude. How do we do that, that Jesus Christ had? Here it comes. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And here it comes on the screen. Look what it says. Therefore, God elevated him 
to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Amen. Amen. Father, we need help. Who am I to think that somehow I'm going to speak on behalf of you, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will speak. And I pray that all of us, including me, are attentive to who you are. That for us to get this Sermon on the Mount, we have got to grasp, we've got to get this man on the Mount. And I trust that you're going to speak in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Church, listen. I pretty much have given you the most of the message. I want to tie this up. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter one. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his what? Son. God promised everything to the son. And here it comes as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The son, Jesus, radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. Here it comes. This shows that the son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. In his name, Jesus. That's where we find our significance. In his name, Jesus. That's where we discover any and all hope. Amen to that? So what's in a name? Everything. In his. Everything. When it's in his name. Now with that being said, I, I need to do something. I want to add two more names. And you need to get this that I think need to be mentioned that helps us understand the Sermon on the Mount. And their names, the two most significant names outside of Jesus Christ that we know today. But back in Jesus' day, Herod and Caiaphas. I will assure you 2,000 years ago when those names were spoken, they induced something. Herod a politician working for a world of Roman power. Caiaphas, a priest working from a Jewish tradition of which he believed this is how you worship God. Herod, a leader in the secular world. Caiaphas, a leader in the religious world. Herod, who was at the beginning of Jesus' life. Caiaphas, who would be at the end of Jesus's earthly life. Both incredibly good at what they did. Both who believed that there was some sort of a God, watch this, of which they were not. Both who held top pos positions 
in the respective fields of power in which they were entrusted. And both completely threatened by Jesus. And all I can do is go, why? Why was Herod, most historians would say, probably the greatest architect and engineer ever to be on planet Earth? You go over to Israel and see the things that he led and created in the time that he did, you'd be blown away. Blown away. And I mean blown away. You think and I, we get proud of what we can create. His bathroom, the mosaic tiles on the wall, I've seen them, touched them. They're still there after 2,000 years. And I've never seen anything at Home Depot, Lowe's, and Menards that's even remotely as close, as beautiful as those. And I'm not kidding you. You can go to the desert and stand up on the Masada in the midst of the desert, lowest part in planet Earth. And he built a fortress on the top, if you will, of Devil's Tower, because that's what it looks like. He built on top of it a fortress that had full running water, crops, animals, and everything. How he got him up there is completely baffling to the human world. And he could live up there forever. It's, it's, it's staggering. And yet a baby, a, a baby, the entire world was in fear at the name of Herod and a baby threatened his throne. And then Caiaphas the leader in the religious world that every Jewish person held in probably the highest of honor. And some dude walking around claiming to be the Messiah, doing nothing but good of which he stood for. And he wanted him killed. It's crazy. And if you know anything in history and have studied this, if an archaeologist were able to dig up a document that would contain their mission statement in life, it'd be two words, kill Jesus. One tried, I remind you, he killed every baby child in the known world except one. A baby, a child. And Caiaphas did everything he could in his power and actually succeeded, so he thought. I just find that interesting. And I'm going to tell you why I think it is, and I don't want you to miss it because it's the most significant part of this message. If we're going to get the Sermon on the Mount, we have to get, and I'm really circling the word get, and I want to show you how that is, the man on the mount. See, here, here's why I think that they were threatened. The two most prominent names during Jesus' era. Because Jesus was no ordinary man, and they knew it. And you do too. And the whole world does. Because Romans 1 says, no human being is without excuse. God has made himself evident. And I trust the scriptures. But here's the problem. Here's what they knew. They knew that Jesus' name was real significant. And if they're going to embrace 
Jesus's name, watch this, they're going to have to die to theirs. And that loss wasn't worth the cost. And I think that's the problem with a lot of people today. If I follow Jesus, I got to start serving my wife then, don't I, as a husband? Yep. But isn't she supposed to serve me? No. You're supposed to wash her feet and cleanse her and do everything you can just like Jesus did for you. Like if I, if I take on his name, I got to serve my husband? Yep. Pray for him, love him. I could lose my job. Yep. But better to do that than gain the whole world and lose your soul. See, the costs are high. God might ask you to do something. You're like, you have got to be kidding me. But therein lies the problem because what Herod and Caiaphas didn't realize that if I actually would have done that, I would have gained more that have had value. See, in his name, we find significant hope. And the only way we embrace his name is when we're willing to die to ours. Because that's what Jesus said in John 3, unless you are born again. Do you know what the word born again means? It means, ready for this? Do you know what it means in the, in the original language? It means you have to be born from above. That's what it means to be born again. You've got to take on a new nature, a new one. See, watch this. Everyone here knows that we all inherit attributes from our parents, right? If you saw my family picture, you'd be like, oh my goodness, I can tell you're all brothers and sisters, right? My kids tell me now, you're starting to act like grandpa, you know? <laughs> There's things that I do and sit. My youngest is always going, you're being grandpa, you're being grandpa. And I'm always like my grandpa. I like, would you shut up? No, <laughs> anyway, but, but I'm not kidding you. We, we inherit we inherit attributes. You ready for this? Exactly what we're about to enter into in the Sermon on the Mount. When we get the man on the mount, everybody look up here. We inherit the attributes and the characteristics from our Father. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's a depiction of who Jesus is and that we become it's not rules that are exhaustive that we have to obey. It becomes the formation. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you need to work, 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 work to be good enough, to be holy enough. It's not in there. When you claim the name of Jesus, you start becoming the name of Jesus. Where Jesus said, I am the vine, you're the branches. When you're joined to me and I and you, you ready for this? The harvest is sure to be abundant. Fruit happens. You know, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, it just happens. That's what Jesus said in John 14, 15, and 16. That's the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what it looks like. This is what I am. As we read in the Hebrews, the characteristic, Jesus was the fulfillment of that. And we now got his presence through the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And we take on the inheritance that Jesus was given. The characteristics. Are you ready for this? In our world, nothing's changed. For an inheritance to be received, you got to die. We have a trust set up for our kids. 
they don't get it until I die. And the same is true when it comes to God. Until we die, we don't get the inheritance. If we're going to get the Sermon on the Mount, the inheritance, then we have to know the man on the Mount and we got to die to ours so we get his name that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess all for the glory of God. Amen to this? Church, you've seen how it works? So here's what I want to do. I want to invite Karen out. And I want you to look at the screen and look what it says in Matthew 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Who do people say? Well, they replied, some say, watch, John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked this, as I believe he's asking you and I today, but who do you say I am? Because it doesn't matter what others say. It doesn't matter what Keith says. Who do you say? Simon Peter answered, watch this. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And don't miss what Jesus says by way of response. Jesus replied, you are blessed. The very first word in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed, blessed. You are blessed. You were so blessed. Simon, and here's why. Simon, son of John, ready for this? Because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not, I'm gonna add, you cannot learn this from any human being. Keith ain't your savior. Chuck Swindoll isn't your savior. Billy Graham didn't die for you. Stephen Furtick didn't lay his life down for you. Your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, your friends. You'd only get this from me. And that inheritance only comes when you're willing to die. For only when you die, that seed gets planted and something new starts rising up within. You're so blessed, Simon. Because only my heavenly father could have made that to you. We cannot learn this stuff from other human beings. That's why I say, I'm not giving you my opinion. My opinion ain't going to do you any eternal good. But his word, his truth sets us free. Amen to that? The most important question I ask right now, who do you say he is? For every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. Whether here, you die or up there, you will bow. I trust the word with everything. I know people walk around, ain't no God. They will bow one day and confess that he is God. I don't care how evil someone is. I don't care how it is. I will assure you that a man by the name Adolf Hitler kneeled before God and confessed who he was. I will assure you, no matter how bad, they will all confess because there's no other name. There's no other name. Try it, folks. Just start saying the name of Jesus and watch how it changes conversations. There's just something about his name. There's just something about his name. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus. There's just something about it. 
And in that name, I get significance. I'm a child of almighty God. In that name, Titus one, verse two, my hope is an eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised to me before the world ever began. One day, welcome home. Welcome home, my good and faithful child. That name, game changer, everything. That name cares more about my marriage and my kids than I ever will. That name, who do you say he is? Because your answer will determine the Sermon on the Mount. And next week, bring your Bibles. We're going to jump in chapter five and we're going to start going through that verse by verse, word by word. Father, who do we say you are? Who do we say you are? Jesus. A name that takes us all the way back to God himself, the son. That's his lineage. Jesus. Conceived of the Holy Spirit. No one can claim that. Born of a virgin. A name that you would give him and tell Mary and Joseph you were to name him Jesus. Because he, he is the savior of the world. The kings would pay homage rightfully. God, it's an amazing story. John the Baptist, who understood very clearly there's one coming. Oh, turn, people, turn. He's coming. I'm not even worthy. Who am I? The heavens would open, a spirit would fall, and God's voice himself would be heard saying, this is my son. We get an incredible picture of who he is, that there is no other name, that he would be led to a desert. Be in the unbelievable battle, the worst, good and evil, and he would come out victorious. He'd invite us to follow, and then now we'll jump into chapter five next week and begin to walk through. This is what it looks like, people. This is who I am the nature that you can have, the characteristics. Oh God, do we know him? Do we know you? Who do we say you are? It's simple, people. All we have to do is say, God, I need to die to me. I want you, only you. That's it. It's as simple as that. And God will move in in a mighty way and begin to teach us and speak to us in ways we've never dreamed possible. Oh, wow. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray and everyone says, amen. I hope you will take what you just heard and apply it to your life. If you need prayer or simply want to connect with us, our website is celebrate.church. We're also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We hope you listen again next week.